Welcome to Sport and Life, third edition, and Sam Kekovich is with me today. Leon Wigard speaking. Sam, good morning. Good morning, Leon, and what a wonderful morning. God, i got a bit of, bit of a bounce in my step this morning. Now, why do we say morning when it's a podcast and we're not too sure what time it goes out? Well, see, Leon, that's why you're the captain and I'm uh, still the aspiring vice-captain. Well, I did say good morning, but it's a sad day, really, because John Kennedy passed away yesterday, oh. and a uh, man that we all admired. Well, he's a father figure of our great game. He was uh, larger than life and, and what an indelible impact he's made. Uh, his legacies forever will go through the passage of time, you know, from the early days at Hawthorne. And you consider his CV, mate, from a champion player to a coach to uh, heading up the AFL to, you know, some of his or- some of his orations were legendary, weren't they? Well, the f- well oh, the, and, and the room would, sh- a bit like you, a big, strong voice. Yeah, and a big, the, beaming the voice. The walls would shake. Oh, my and so were the players. There was a chill down your spine, let me tell you. And he was one of the one of the guys, look, I do your kanga, a uh, bit like Ron Barassi, I guess, in his heyday. You know, there was, a, there, was a, there, was a, there was a presence about them. They had a sixth sense. When they were in the room, you could sense it. You know, very few people have got that... Uh, Got that ability, but they certainly did. And when they spoke, you listened. Must have been in the 60s that I saw him. I, I, I just haven't got the dates in front of me. But playing at the old Glenfrey Oval or the little school square, God, it was an awful ground. But anyway, uh, against Butch Gale. So that dates it, doesn't it? Oh, does it ever. Yeah. And you can, they came right up to you then. You could, you could sit around where the coaches, where Kennedy used to coach for That's them. right, in the box. That was yeah, right on the word. ground. And uh, you could get round there. And, uh, well, they were the... And going to I, that ground, I remember Kennedy, one thing, but the other thing I remember there was Peter Hudson, funnily enough, at, yeah. uh, at that ground. Kicked plenty of goals there. But I'll tell you one thing, Leon, what, what will remain when we, we talk about the legacy of uh, John Kennedy, but what other one part of his apparel will remain legendary, do you think? The Gabardine Overcoat. The Gabardine Overcoat. Eh? That it will be part of folklore. And commiserations uh, particularly to all his friends, and one of those is uh, John O'Mahony. Now, John O'Mahony and John Kennedy played together, wait for this, in the under-18s in the Camberwell YCW. Now, would anyone remember what a YCW is? Now, Dan over there, our, our producer, do you know what a YCW is? No. Young Christian workers. They were, Christian oh, movement, I was yeah. say that. There was a CYMS, which is another Christian group, and the YCW. Uh, the CYMS, from memory, was a bit older. The YCW were young young bucks. Anyway... There was a once upon a time we could <coughs> use Christianity as a talking point and it would be much revered. Now we tend to whisper it in these days. <laughs> <laughs> so they played at Camwell together, and uh, I, I know John very well. In fact, John O'Mahony is the grandfather of Gerald Blair, uh, Jared Blair from Collingwood. Ah, what a, a not even premiership player. A premiership. He walked into a premiership his first he year. Ubiquitous little rover he was. Very good player. Mm. And um, and John's a lovely man, and uh, he's still with us, and a great mate. In fact, he's the closest friend of John Kennedy, and I tried to get him on the program, but he wasn't confident enough. Just on a great it. man, a great legacy, mm. and as you say, rightfully, condolences to all the family and his wife and the boys, and his son played, his grandson, you know, of course, the uh, captain of the Sydney Swans. And his son was there. They drove up yesterday, uh, John Jr. and his wife. They drove all the way to Sydney to, to watch uh, 
his son plays 250th game for the Josh, City Swans. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Well, John Kennedy Senior, 129 games, which unless I got that wrong in the research, but didn't seem enough. But uh, in those days, of course, 129 games then would be 150 today. Oh, I guess. every bit of it. It's 18 a year, 18 uh, a season. 18, and, and they didn't play finals very often. And you see the, see the grounds they played on. Oh yes. Uh, well, I played well, on them. Under, you played under, on them, Leon. Underage, yeah. Now, on a lighter note, Leon, up and down. I, uh, I guess some good news and bad news. We do cover life in general. The uh, six thousand sackings at Qantas. You know those poor people waking up this morning with yes. work. You know we said our commiserations out to them. They have very hard times as well. I heard Mr. Joyce on the radio on the way in this morning saying that all the, all the uh, airlines have done it. I don't know whether that's a criteria for, for action, but anyway. Well, I don't know, Leon. And on the other side, you know, uh, the good news and bad news, of course, we won the World Cup for the uh, women uh, in, in uh, 2023, which is fantastic from two aspects. One for the women, uh, which will be fantastic. And, of course, from uh, an economical perspective, that will be a boom for us in 2023 in conjunction with New Zealand. But I suspect that we'll be pushing strongly to have the final played in... Uh, well, we were the greatest state once in Victoria. I'm not so sure it's, we're exactly that at the moment. I don't know whether they've made that decision, have they? No, they I, haven't. I, 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 I think it's going to be in Australia. That was part of the pact, I think. Mm. Um, anyway, I that's... I don't know the intricacies uh, associated with it. Something like 18 venues. It was. And the other downside, just quickly, Leon, because we always used to thump our chest when we were living in Victoria. We were the uh, progressive state, the garden state, the do-it state, the sporting capital of the world. And now we've become the pariah of the world, with another spike in the kind of uh, the uh, the, well, the coronavirus, and uh, you know now we're testing these little hotspots that have evolved around in certain suburbs, and uh, we've got to be very very careful. So that's a a downside, but we need to be more vigilant and uh, careful. And the people that have uh, been responsible, please take notice that there is a real enemy out there, and we need to. Be uh, mindful of that. Well, we pussyfoot about this, you know. There's three or four families involved, and they are dumb. Absolutely, you can't Stupid. say they didn't understand. No. That, that, that's no excuse. God, they 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 say it in five different languages, five yeah. different languages, and uh, it's just they just think they're bulletproof. Well, it doesn't discriminate whether you're Yugoslav, Italian, Sudanese, Indian, or whatever nationality. Let me tell you, the virus doesn't discriminate, and. Uh, Please take heed because we do need to uh, control it and we put a lid on it again and get the curve right. We can open up our borders and get everyone with a smile on their dial once again. This is Sport, uh, wake and, up. Sport and Life with uh, Sam Kakovich giving a bit of a speech there to you all and Leon Wigard and uh, a few things in the pipeline, Sam. Uh, I spoke to Bill Givens yesterday. Yes, the Jericho Cup. And uh, that's uh, that's been officially launched again and... Uh, Bill, of course, is the man that makes that happen. Uh, that's going to be held... One of uh, the great philanthropists of Australia. Very understated. Yes. A lot of people wouldn't know who Bill Gibbons is. They know who Lindsay Fox is. They know who uh, Jerry Ryan is and a couple of others, one or two. Billy Gibbons flies on the radar, but equally as uh, benevolent and altruistic as the aforementioned and does some wonderful, wonderful work for a lot of, lot of charities. Well, you put those two names together again because I think he sold his business to Lindsay Fox. He did, and I know the exact Billy would understand. I won't reveal the exact amount, about $120 million. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and he's, got, uh, he's got a little bit of it left. 
but he has been extremely benevolent, especially what? to the uh, the Seafarers uh, Union. He bought a building for them, for the uh, seamen, when they, when they yes. were under threat. They couldn't get their building, so he bought them a building and gave it to them. And, of course, the Jericho Cup was his own little baby to recognise the uh, the wonderful horseman and in the Battle of uh, Bathsheba. Yeah, and I, have you read the book, Bill the Bastard? Uh, Bill the Bastard, I have indeed. They're old whalers that went across there. Uh, fantastic. Leon. But, of course... Uh, I didn't realise you were so learned, Leon. I, you know, keep myself measured when I speak. Uh, well, to you. I haven't finished Biggles and Borneo yet, but I'm working on oh, it. What about the Secret Seven and the Famous Five? They were my favourites. We've also got Johnny Zavaro coming up in a few weeks, or maybe next week. The Angry Ant. Whoa, he's compelling. Well, He'll be compelling listening. Great to the cyclist. Ant. I'm going to ring Steve Hooker to get him on if I can. Yeah. Uh, the pole vault gold medalist, because he's big time in the Olympic movement. You told movement me. Now. Yeah. yeah, he's uh, he's chairman of the Australian. Uh, Sports Commission, uh, the Australian Olympians Commission uh, for the uh, AOC. Right. Um, so he's going along in leaps and bounds. And Herb Elliott, the, the greatest mile winner in the Olympic history, oh, well, 1,500 metres. Well, it was. And uh, we'll get him too. So, Fantastic. But, uh, but looking at Footscray win last night, and we've got a scragger coming up in a few moments. We do. The doggies, they're, uh, I'll tell you what, they're compelling viewing the last two weeks. The first week they looked ordinary, you know, against the uh, the pies, but the last two weeks they're good. And of course, we have got one of the greatest dogs of all as our guest this afternoon, uh, Leo, this morning or this afternoon or on our show. Uh, and he's going to reveal. Uh, he's got a lot to reveal. This guy is a uh, he's a multitasking individual. He's a team of the century member. He was a Coleman medalist. He was larger than life. He had his own show over there on Channel Thirty One. I think it was from memory. Uh, and then got involved uh, as a stockbroker. Uh, you don't associate that with uh, too many doggies, but he was. Got involved in that uh, volatile investment portfolio that you more commonly allude to as the punt, Leon. He was a, my most prominent of uh, satchel swingers. Uh, got caught in a bit of controversy, but we'll elaborate upon that a little bit later on. And uh, a lot, lot more. But on that note, I'll hand it to you. And, uh, of course, our special guest is Simon Beasley, and uh, we'll join Simon right after this break. Goes across the face. Beasley chips in. It's a mark. There's the siren. The dogs have won it. With the last kick of the day, Footscray have beaten Collingwood at the Western Oval. Uh, welcome back, folks, to uh, Sport and Life, and we're at the, uh, the Prince, the Prince of Wales Hotel in Fitzroy Street, St Kilda, uh, not a bad little uh, building. Uh, look, it's uh, an opulent edifice, of course, part of the uh, the Ryan uh, portfolio, one of one of many, but uh, done a fantastic job. And what an upgrade it has been, if you remember the old Prince of Wales, which was with uh, as kindly as you can put it, a din of iniquity and a very colourful venue. And a lot of unsavoury types used to frequent here, Leon. Including you. Apparently, I read about it, Leon. That, and that was uncalled for. I'll tell you right now, we do litigate here, you know. I was looking at the photos down in the bottom bar, which is fantastic now. And open for breakfast, by the way. And um, they've got photos. And this building that we're in now, we're up in the snobby part. There's a fantastic restaurant where we are. But um, down below on the bar... They've got the original hotel, which is only this this That's block right. here that we're in, and then there are houses next door. Uh, Lord knows what went on in those houses, but um, there was a bit of a reputation around. Well, it was the a place. very colourful area, Leon. I'm going to say anyone that came to Melbourne, it was a must. You go, you go to St Kilda, same as when you go to Sydney, you go to the Cross. 
intends to broaden your cultural uh, appetite. So the Prince of Wales, of course, serves Mitchell and Wine, naturally, our our good mates. Now, um, Simon Beasley joins us, and good on you, Simon. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me, Leon. Great to see you and Sam. We didn't do your record. Um, Sam went through your background, uh, but your record's quite impressive. Uh, Came from Swan Districts uh, to Footscray, uh, played there for eight years. Um, something in the order of over 150 games, nearly 600 goals. First year he was there, 12 goals in one game against right. Geelong. Um, and one of only two Footscray players in the history of the club to kick over 100 goals. So, Indeed so. The other one being Kelvin Templeton, of course. Kelvin Templeton, there you go. But he was uh, a common medalist in 85 too with 93 goals, which is a fantastic effort. And also he had, a, had an issue with the crowd in 1985 too, did you not... Simon? Yes, it, that was um, yeah, that was a game up in Brisbane, I think. Sam, we had a few issues. Yes, um, yeah, so I marked it basically uh, on the siren, and they, they in those days the play all the spectators could run onto the ground. So oh, yeah. yeah, and so they they were they were everywhere, all over me. So we I just missed the goal. It was one of those things. But one of the better moments was at the Western Oval with Collingwood uh, nailing Collingwood in the last thirty seconds when Gubby Allen Graham Allen kicked it across the goal so oh, that, that was a great moment yeah a, fam- a famous yeah. case yeah, yeah he made a mistake Gubby but anyway he's, he's he's not remembered as being the manager of the 1990 Premiership Collingwood team he's remembered for kicking it across the goal the, go- the uh, ground could but, I just start with uh, why the move from Swan Districts and those days was it is it every Western Australian's uh, ambition to play on this side of the yeah, coast yeah look I mean Basically, the waffle was a strong competition, eight-team competition, um, and I and I played football at university when I when I did a course there, and then went on to Swan Districts. But everyone aspired to be in the VFL because the the highest rating program in Perth was the winners yeah. showing at six o'clock on a Sunday night, and it was it was legendary. And like for one hour, everyone in Perth was glued to watching the winners, and particularly what watching Western Australian players playing in the VFL. We loved it so. You know, everyone, every, you know, all the players wanted to get a chance to come to Victoria. I was lucky enough to get picked up by the Bulldogs, yeah. So, to put this in some sequential uh, order, 85, 81, you won the Simpson medal against yeah. Victoria. Yes, that's right. So, the Vicks came over um, and the state of origin was big in those days. It was really was. big. And, you know, we... We, we, Malcolm Brown was our coach, actually. Malcolm Brown, who was coaching South Fremantle, yeah. and and we had a uh, we had a great team. We had um, a l- number of the Indigenous guys like Stephen Michael, Basil Campbell, Benny Vagona. Yeah. There was about six or seven of them in the team, and we were doing it hard at half time. And Brownie came in and gave us all a spray, and we ended up winning the game. I kicked six, got the the Simpson medal, and. Um, and then uh, sort of doors open a bit. That, the, but I'd actually signed before that to come to the Bulldogs in '82. Now there lies the conundrum. When you came over in '85, you came under a lease agreement. Is that right? What happened was that in those days, in the early '80s, each of the club got a form four, so they got two of them to, to recruit interstate recruits. And so the Bulldogs had already used their two, but they bought a bought a form from Essendon, and so I came via Essendon to the Bulldogs. So. That was the, the system they had. It, it, what, there was no zones or any, you know, if you right. got an interstate cruise, you could only yeah. get two a year. So I was lucky to get picked up by the That boys. would have been an ethical purchase, Leon, buy, buy, buy a Form 4 back off Essendon. There'd be, be no, like... no money change hands there. <laughs> <laughs> so in 85, you came across under that basis? I came across in 81. 81, sorry, 81. So I started, started the end of 81. I started yeah. training. And then um, in 82, 82, I played the first game I played at was out at Windy Hill. 
So I played on Ronnie Andrews. Oh, yeah. welcome to Victoria. Yeah, welcome to Victoria. And so Dougie Hawkins worded me up and said, look, don't say anything to him and keep as far away from him as you possibly can. So we had a decision. We got beaten by 120 points for memory. So the interesting thing, you left with Swan District's blessings, obviously. Well, not yeah. you, at least it was legit. Then they wanted you to come back. Yeah, they wanted they me to come. They demanded 50 grand or something from you. Well, they wanted me to come back. But look, I struggled early doors. In, in 82, the first half of the season was a bit of a nightmare. But I sort of... Got, got my act together after that, you know. It was uh, it was good actually. I ended up with eighty odd goals. Just get Malcolm Blyde actually. We played North Melbourne in the last home and away game, and Blyde Blyde and I were equal on goals, and he kicked ten and I kicked four, so he got the the Coleman Medal in eighty two. So, but I, I came good in the back half of that We've year. We've heard about it. Yep. And uh, stayed for eight years, but <clears throat> I think that faux pas that uh, Sam made before the the, the, the dates, <clears throat> eighty five was the year that. Well, why was the lease arrangement raised in 85 uh, and, and not in 81, for No, instance? no, they, the Swan Districts were trying to get me back when I was struggling in 82. It was nothing to do with 85 because we killed them in 85. We, we finished third. Um, we were, we were, you know, Mick Malthouse came to the club in 84, you know, pa- passed uh, after Bluey Hampshire um, gave it away. And so Mick bought an influx of interstate recruits. He got um, a number of Western Australian recruits came across. I mean, Tony Bahaja came from Essendon. I mean, Jimmy Sewell, Ian Williams, Murray Rance played, Andrew Purser played. And then we got blokes from Richmond and Carlton. And so Mick, Mick was able to sort of get a team to gel. And all of a sudden, we're off to the races. Well, talking about off to the races, why wouldn't that 50000 which was a transfer fee, why wouldn't... Um, why wouldn't who was after the 50,000 from uh, Swan District Swan District yeah won the 50,000 well why wouldn't Footscray simply have given it to the VRC and everybody would have been clear because that was your fine wasn't it that's it that was 50 <laughs> was it 50 or 40 I can't even remember Leon was that long ago mate it was, it was 50 <laughs> yeah. the, only, the only ones would have missed out would have been Swan District yeah that's right but they, they did well out of the deal they Swan Districts got over 100000 for me back in 1981. And then, then the Bulldogs also had to pay Essendon for the Form 4. So it was an expensive exercise for the Bulldogs. So I'm thinking after about three or four weeks in 1982, the Bulldogs are thinking, what a lemon he is. This bloke, he can't even get out of his own way. He would have got that out of his astro, on 50 grand, not a button yeah, up his <laughs> Tell me uh, the fullback, just a, a reminder, the fullbacks in those days, who are the, who are yeah, the hot so shots? The, so Gary Malarkey from Geelong, yes, a Western player. Australian colleague, was a very Frawley. good fullback. Um, well, Danny Frawley towards the mid, middle ladder in the 1980s. Um, the, the, the bloke I most probably had most trouble with was Rod Carter. So Egg Fitzroy, Chilk. Sydney Swans. Yeah. And so he suffered from white line fever, Rod. Delightful bloke off yes, the field, yes. but on the field, not well. And so he took great delight in belting the hell out of me. And um, he was a really tough, tough guy to play on, yeah. Uh, uh, you were Denchy? Did Denchy play in Yeah, I played on Denchy in 82. Yeah. I reckon he retired at the end of 82. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. Um, North Melbourne fullback Steve McCann, ex Western Australian, played there quite a bit. Um, Ian Fairley, North Melbourne fullback, Fairly, good, yeah. good player. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I mean, there was. Uh, and, very, uh, and Chris um, Chris Langford is a very good, very good very fullback good for Hawthorne. Really good fullback. No, he played on some very good players. Don't yeah. worry, your CV stacks up well. Yep. Now, the, t- the, 12, the 12 goals against Geelong, mm. uh, now that must have been a catalyst for your... If, you, if you're struggling at some stage, yeah. that must have kicked you along well, a bit. Well, th- that was in 82, so I, I'd, I'd struggled in the first half of the season. Then we, we had a game down at, over at Victoria Park 
and I kicked six at Victoria Park, and I thought, oh, if you kick goals in Victoria Park, you can kick goals in Victoria, you can, you can kick goals elsewhere. So I got my, it was a confidence thing, Leon. I was down on confidence early. The club was getting belted. Roy Sart was the coach early for about four or five games, and then they gave him the flick. And then Bluey Hampshire came in. And so I got a bit of confidence. You know, it's like it's, you, you just get into a role and um, and end up kicking 12 against Geelong that particular season. Yep, yep. How'd you find Mickey Malthouse? He was really good, really good. Like, he, Mickey, he, he'd only be, he was only about three or four years older than me. Yeah. And we got really well. And he was what the club needed and tough. Well, he tell me, tough. why, why the, other, the other West Australian figure you had there, Brad Hardy or Brownlow yeah. Midlands? What was the uh, what was the angst and what was it? Why didn't those two never get the well? Get well, on? well, Brad of course had a brilliant 1985, <clears throat> and and he, he he was everywhere. And I think I think in the in the preliminary final of '85, playing Hawthorne, Brad had been brilliant for three quarters, and Lee Matthews he carved Lee Matthews up, and 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 Jeansy brought Alan um, Lee Matthews back on the ground at the 12 minute mark at the last quarter. We were about two goals in front, and Brad was supposed to be on Lee. And I think he, 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 went, he went missing. Yeah. And so Lee, Lee kicked three or four goals in about five minutes and the game just turned on its head. And then the following year, in 1986, Mickey and Brad had blues. Mick wasn't happy with his defensive game and this and yeah. that. And, that, and that, 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 that was the when the conflict came about. But isn't it amazing, Leon, in, in football, how these... these Pockets of acrimony linger and linger and linger. To this day, Brad Hardy <laughs> regards Mick as public enemy number one. It's, cra- it's, we, crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. It's, you it's know, nonsense. People, in football, I'm going to say there's such a privileged lot to have the ability and have the capacity and to be able to be a part of something so unique that you leave it in a state of anger. I just I can never comprehend it. How the other branches never extend. It's probably been extended by Mick. I don't know. But it's but life, isn't it? Um, it is. Well, we're talking any, about life. Any group, a football club would have, say, 50 people that you would have been closely associated with. Well, um, any f- group of 50 people that you know, you're going to have a couple that you, you know, don't get you, on you, with. You, yeah. you, you, you're just not aligned with, you know, somehow. Yeah, but you don't have a, you, you don't have a manic obsession where you say, I hate this guy. You know, you, you no, move no, on. That's you, right, yes. you know, I can never understand those those pockets of absolute bitterness that linger and linger and eat you away. Yeah, and I'm sure. That. And Brad, I'm sure it's eaten Brad away. I know. Look, but I this, mean, I, I agree, Sam. I, 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 I can't believe that people fall out as badly as they do with yeah. people in footy clubs. I mean, it's the greatest bond playing in a footy club with and a privilege. Yeah, you know, and a privilege. Thirty or forty other blokes. And, you know, I love all my ex-teammates, all the blokes. Yeah. I don't see them a lot. I see them at some past players' functions, and I've got a few buddies I catch up with, but, you know, I, I think it's crazy yeah, stuff. Unbelievable. Now, Simon, um, uh, full forward from Western Australia. The best full forward from Western Australia, according to all the facts and figures around the place, was Austin Robinson. Yes. Uh, who played water polo, by the way, Sam. Did you know that? I did, Leon. We spoke about that. Yes, uh, came across as a young bloke to Melbourne here as a very young bloke. What about John Jerovich? Well, John Jerovich is a legend at South Fremantle. Yeah, he's one of the greatest. It do, doesn't stack up, though. Not with Austin uh, Robinson. Not, not with Austin figure. Robinson played with Subiaco in Perth. Yes. Uh, he, he was incredible. And he played one year here for okay. South Melbourne. Um, well, he happens to be a good mate of mine, but um, he was an interesting bloke in that he kicked 150 goals, I think, two or three times. Uh, you know, an amazing record. Oh, Subiaco were great great club in the 70s 
and Austin Robinson was at the forefront of their their, 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 their game. He was fantastic. And his father was mentioned on this uh, program last mm. week, uh, Austin Senior, yes. who was the world professional sprint champion or something. And, uh, mm. and, of course, a, a, a very good South Melbourne player as well. So, Simon, tell us about this Channel 31 gig that you had. I, I don't remember that at all. No, no. It's, um, no Leon, what pace my career, they wanted Channel 31 over in the West, wanted me to um, host this program, which I did for a year or so, and... And I got all the um, the luminaries from the Bulldogs, Hawkins, Hardy. They all came on. It was good. It was good. Just a bit of fun, really. Actually, they, they renamed the Simon Beasley show. The Simon. <laughs> they did. Oh, come on, Sam. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> and why? Why thirty one? That was that's the ethnic station. Well, it was yeah, but they, they a lot of the people out in the west tuned in there, Leon, and the and the idea was that they would they would get interested in footy and start following the Bulldogs. Oh right. And that's what happened. We we got a lot of those people out. I mean, the Vietnamese they lo- they love the yeah. Bulldogs. You know, Barclay Street was full of Vietnamese. It's a, it was a, a pioneer good, there. Yep. A very okay, post football. Let's move on to post football. Uh, stockbroking. Now you don't associate footballers well with stockbroking. Well, the stock exchange I was involved with for sort of 22 years, and when I rolled up at, out at Footscray and at the end of 81 pre-season training, Doug Hawkins and Terry Wheeler and these blokes, they didn't quite they wouldn't couldn't know get their mind around it. You know? <laughs> and I was driving an old BMW and Doug Hawkins hadn't seen a BMW. It was very funny. And dressed in a suit, you know, a suit and tie, you know. They looked at me going to change and said, what have we got here? Anyway, look, I gelled with them. It, it, it was no problem, but I did, I did have a long career in broking, yeah. It was good. Until insider trading got you there too, I think, didn't no, it? No, never got caught with, by the authorities, Sam. I made us to evade the authorities. <laughs> no, no. Look, it's, I worked with uh, a couple of prominent firms, um, a firm called Audbinet in Melbourne and also uh, Credit Suisse, which is good, and um, and I ended my career in stockbroking in 2000. Yep. Simon Beasley, our guest on Golf and Life with Sam Kankovich and Leon Wigard. We're at the Prince Hotel in Fitzroy Street. And not drinking uh, Mitchell and wine, it's too early in the morning. Um, but uh, wherever you are listening to this, we hope you're enjoying uh, Mitchell and wine or two. Back after this. Puts it high, up towards half court. Beasley, great mark. And well within kicking distance, and he should be able to put Fitzgray in front, and they will bring the stadium roof down when he picks it. There she is on its way. And uh, let's see the result. Uh, welcome back to, uh, I'm confused now, Sport and Life. I called it Golf and Life once. Well, part of Sports Golf, Leon. Well, I used to do a golf show on radio. Well. And uh, enjoyed that immensely. I, I, in fact, I, I'm, I'm having a game of golf today. Well, there you go. There's no rubbers on our pencils, Leon. We're <laughs> down at, down at Moonar Links, which is... On the peninsula. It is, and a healthy drive for you. They had the Australian Championship there a couple of times. Our guest today is Simon Beasley, and a very welcome one too, Sam. Well, he's a very colourful personality, larger than life. We've uh, briefly discussed his footballing background, which uh, we must confess, Leon, stacks up pretty well, doesn't it? My word. With all the other luminaries, so he's in in good good company there. But also, he he was very smart. He he diversified, went into stockbroking, very intelligent. And then, as though that didn't give him enough uh, food on the table, he decided he would launch himself in a more speculative industry called bookmaking, and a very successful one. And, of course, what was the lure of racing first and foremost? Uh, Were you a punter? Yeah, my grandfather um, owned horses, Sam, so as a little kid I used to go to the races with him, so that ignited my interest in in the betting side of things. So I'd, I'd always had an interest in it, yeah. Were you punting when you played? 
Um, when I played, well, there was no official betting on football. So you did, that's the answer. Yes, thank you. Punted. <laughs> why, why, why go through this elongated response when you know we all punted? Everyone had a bet, didn't they? Well, Everyone. Yeah, yeah, don't generalise now, all right? I'm talking. Yes. We did. Of course we did. Of course we did. But tell me, uh, well, when you're a punter, it's different. Uh, when you became a book, why did you become a bookmaker? Did you incur a lot of losses as a punter and you thought, why am I a mug and I see all these guys swinging these bags, driving Benzes and BMWs, as the Hawk calls them, boomer? Uh, yeah, not, not quite that, but uh, look, I, I had an, I've always had an interest in the, um, in the bookmaking side and the figures because I was, you know, the fig- with stockbreaking and it's all, it's all about the figures. So yes. I thought to myself, you know, there's opportunities. I, I, bought a, I got involved in a business in Canberra uh, a sports betting business with horse racing uh, for three or four years before I took out a licence down here in Melbourne in the early 2000s. Did you race horses when you played? Always raced a lot of horses, raced a lot of horses. I mean, in, in my day, in the 80s and Didn't 90s... Nick Collum, did you not, the former president yeah, of... Well, Nick Nick offered me shares in horses, so he offered me shares Quartzer. in Gari, Corza, Impazira, all these champions he yeah, had. It was amazing. Blue Diamonds, he yeah. won big races. He, he, he would have been the most successful single owner in in, in Australia in in the eighties and nineties, I reckon. Did you take any of those up? I didn't take any. I was too smart for that. I don't I, <laughs> I don't I don't back the winners, Leon. I, I get the losers. But mates of mine in the stock exchange, five of us could get together and buy a horse. You know, you get twenty percent of a horse. Exactly. Now you now you can't because of the cost. It's just it's prohibitive. So it's different. But I did race a lot of horses. Mm. I had a couple with Gay which went pretty well and yeah we had a bit of luck. Well, you're not the only stockbroker that does that. Uh, Gurners Lane Group, yep. uh, they were very very successful too. Australian Club, yeah. yeah. A, a fellow called Robert Lodge was one of the syndicate heads of that and they had they had great success. And and Chris Biggins, who, who's a well-known Melbourne stockbroker, he passed away recently and he was involved with Superimpose. So there, there's a, it's a big, very strong connection between the stock exchange and, and the racehorsing industry. Race Talking industry. about footballers and, uh, and betting, I recall many, many years ago, you'll remember the name Norm Johnson, Fitzroy, Fitzroy tough Rackman. man, and uh, well before your time, Norman, uh, Norman uh, Simon, but uh, Norm Johnson was a, a hero, cult hero at Fitzroy. Tough. A big, like, like McCulloch that came across here from, uh, from Ian McCulloch Australia. from East Perth. Sa- yeah. Same sort of yeah. figure, and he used to run through packs. I, I was an under-19 player when he was on the seniors at Fitzroy, well, little Christian Brothers bloke, and I look at this bloke, I think he was number 17 from memory, and what's he looking in his sock for? I pick, he's picked out the racing, the, the, they used to put the racing in the football record and checking all the results while the football game's going on. Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> Jack, Jack, Collins, Jack Collins of the Bulldogs, he, he had a reputation for taking the, um, the form guide out, but... I said, I put him on him, put it on him one day, Jack. He said, No, no, it wasn't the form guy, it was a comb. I wanted the comb. <laughs> <laughs> he always wanted cheese here. But let me tell you, the first thing you packed in those days in your bag was the form guy. Yes. <laughs> and the quaddy was the big thing. And in the scoreboard, if you remember, the race results used to come up on the scoreboard. Yeah, and the numbers, yep. And that would determine the manner in which you played the last time. <laughs> Quite a distraction. <laughs> and if you got the first three legs of the quaddy, let me assure you, it spread like wildfire among the punters in the group. Let me tell you, oh, it was, I can tell you stories about didn't, that. Didn't you have a bet at Werribee one day when you were playing at Geelong? You're breaking up. Now, Simon, <laughs> uh, tell me uh, the lure of bookmaking. Now, you... You rose to the ranks of being probably the premier bookmaker in in uh, Victoria. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I got onto the rails pretty quickly. I, my first meeting was actually in um, December, uh, Boxing Day at Penshurst, 
in Victoria. Ooh, so I, I graduated pretty quickly onto the rails, which is good. It was it was it was good fun. And in that era, in the early two thousands, Sam, I mean, the bookmaking um, game was still big. It was. It, you know, I mean, I can remember you know going to the races not as a bookmaker, as a punter. Twenty deep, the betting rings used to be, yeah. and we used to talk amongst each other, and it was just fantastic that the whole yeah. vibe. Now that's all sort of disappeared. Um, unfortunately, and there's a very few bookmakers left. There are, but in 2009, unfortunately, you incurred the wrath of the, uh, the VRC stewards. Right? Yes. yes. I know exactly who they are, Simon. <laughs> no need to put words in my mouth. <laughs> now, for a, apparently taking bets. Just, just a couple of them, 1,500 and something. 1,500 uh, unregistered betting, uh, bets, yep. of which they find you 50,000. Now, I think your defence was that you played ignorance on Navy to a degree in terms of technology didn't quite work or emails. What actually happened there? Well, well what happened was that our clients wanted to bet 24-7 yes. and our licence didn't enable us to do that. Yet, in other jurisdictions in Australia, a la Darwin, uh-huh. they could, they the have clients it. could have the full menu presented to them. And, and so, as a result, we, we needed to try and hold on to our clients and not let them trickle their way up into the Northern Territory. So we we had the guys... Can we I had interrupt you for one second? Yeah. And the reason being, yep. of course, I think those bets total somewhere in the vicinity of $4 million. It's about and 3 or $4 million, yeah. Okay, well, you can understand why they've incurred their, your, your, their wrath. Yep. Because what they're missing out on is... Turnover tax. Turnover tax. Well, it amounted to about 30 or 40 grand. In the overall scheme of things, I was holding about 80 to $100 million dollars during the year, betting on the on the rails, and I was paying the industry eight hundred thousand to a million dollars in turnover tax. So we were right. the biggest payer to the industry. So anyway, look, one thing led to another. The well, one of my staff members made a mistake in terms of sending documents out by email, and he sent stu- right. documents to the stewards. So that was um, so the stewards went after us. There it was about a two year thing because they investigated me for for a year before they fronted me, and then there was another year in terms of the charges to right. go through. So what I can understand, as intelligent as you are, would you agree with me there, Leon? Super, Super intelligent. Fast tracking about a decade or no, seven or eight years again. So again, you incur their wrath for something almost identical. Uh, or something very similar. Well, well, what happened was that we took a you license. Started Visa yeah. You started Visa so, Bet. You started your own So Visa that, that's an online website that we've just established in the last three to four months. We've actually got a big, we've got a phone clientele, Sam. Predominantly our clients are sort of over the age of 50, dinosaurs, they like ringing in, you know, they like, they like to ring their bets like in. Like me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sure. So anyway, what, what happened was that a lot of the clients are, we were making mistakes in terms of the recording of the bets. So as if you read the transcript of the things, the, 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 the stewards said that, there are anomalies within the betting sheets. So as a result of that, we got fined 18 grand and we got a month suspension. It wasn't the end of the world, but we've, we've addressed all those issues now. Right. It's all... It's all okay, it's move all on. Good. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. You're clear as a bell. So from memory, I recall very vividly, they say it's a volatile cocktail. It's a devil's playground. A lot of money and spare time. A lot of the football has gotten a lot of trouble... They're betting heavily with you, and I think a couple of Melbourne players were named. Yeah, yeah, the Melbourne players, yes. And they owed you a lot of money. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Is that true? That that was true, but the Melbourne Football Club actually did the right thing and came to came to the rescue. An arrangement. Yeah, I, I handed into an arrangement with them, but I did because we were sort of high profile on the course. We attracted all sorts, and so football, young well, footballers, you colourful, unsavouries, they all bet with you. 
and 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 these young guys they were bored they they were training but and and they didn't have a job outside footy sam and of course they're on the phone bet 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 and of course the, the same thing goes on these days but these days what happens is they're on the app and they're punching away. And I mean, and I know a lot of footballers that bet, a lot of footballers bet on the oh. races, on the races, and, you know, they're, they're tor- torching their money. Yeah. What's the biggest bet you laid? Uh, biggest bet, I would have bet about maybe to lose a couple hundred thousand, something like that. Do you lay that off or do you hold it a penny upon I the I have to say bet? de-risk some of it. Yeah, you de-risk some of it. But when we were betting on the... It was an interesting thing on the punters.com website the other day about a horse called I've Got Chills that David Hayes owned going back years. And I got caught up badly with it. But I I was with a mate the the, the day before and actually he played with Richmond, Stephen Pirry. And anyway, he said to me, he said, I've got a horse going around tomorrow. And I didn't take much notice of it until I got the first phone call I took on the day was a bloke from Darwin wanting to back this horse. And I worked out very quickly what was happening. So... We backed it back heavily, but we got very tied up with it in the end. It was about $14 into about five, so, and a one by ten lengths. What did, you, uh, what did you do in the four years that you uh, had off? Well, sort of um, because my background's financial, I was always involved with the stocks and shares. So um, I played the stock market, and I had business interests in Indonesia, in Bali, with land development and retail interest, which fortunately I sold last year because it was it had been involved. Involved was Richard Collis. Ah, Richard okay. was yeah. uh, a part of that uh, deal, a part of a consortium of yeah. Sydney Swans. Of course, yeah. he was the yeah. chairman. Up I there. played football with Richard Collis in, in the University Mount, of West yeah. Australia. Uh, we played uh, footy it, together. He was a player. Well, yeah, I wouldn't have thought he was. That. Yeah, and actually, Mike Sheehan asked me in an interview. He said, "How would um, you describe Richard's uh, football ability?" And I said, "Serviceable." Richard was watching. <laughs> Richard was watching. Home. He went into his wife, and he went into Susie. And said, <laughs> "She said." He said, "What do you think if someone called your ability in football serviceable?" And and she went, "Pretty shitty." <laughs> so anyway, he's never forgiven me. Never forgiven me. Oh, the guru is a guru. Oh, yeah. You got to feel sorry for other members of the racing fraternity that get a holiday like that because jockeys and trainers in most cases haven't had the training yes and we've got the case now of guys driving taxis because they've you know been nabbed and uh, yeah they just haven't got something to fall back on and it's a good lesson for our footballers that you spoke about if you are a bit hooked on the punt for goodness sake make sure you've got some training to do something you're not you're only going to play football for 10 years at the best and well, you've got to think it's a long life over Well, I, I, I think all, the current day footballers, they all should be either doing a course at uni or a, a secondary college or something in the building industry. So they've got something to, to, to fall back on. I think it's really important. I don't know whether the clubs in the AFL I think most clubs now have got wonderful initiatives, yep. safety nets yep. for all players. In fact, they monitor that very closely, their financials, to make sure they end up with something at the other end of the pipeline. Yeah, well, Some, that, well that's good. There's obviously always going to be one or two going to fall through the cracks because there's going to be that element. But predominantly, the AFL or the clubs in themselves should be commended in that regard because in our day, we had no safety No, nets. nothing, nothing. You know, nothing. it was catch and kill your own and fend for yourself and take responsibility. That's a bit different these days. Simon Beasley, our guest, with uh, Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard on Sport and Life. And Simon, um, uh, just back to football before we close, the, um, the Bulldogs are a fantastic result last night against the Swans. Um, they're looking all right. Look, I, I, I think Luke Beveridge is doing a great job. He's got, they, they were saying last night, the commentators, there's only six players in last night's team that played in the 16 Premiership, it, which is very, very interesting, you know. And he's just brought along these players. I think, you know, 
It's an unusual season, isn't it? It's an unusual season, but they're, they're, they're proving to be the real deal, the Bulldogs, and I don't think a favourite's won a game yet. <laughs> Collingwood beats St Kilda. It's about the only favourite. Well, even that was line ball. A line ball, yeah. There was even Zeta too, I, I I've, ne- I've never seen a season like it where the, the number of upsets um, and every team can be beaten on the night. And I thought the Swans would turn up last night because all the money was for the Swans. All the experts are saying the Swans, but no Swans. What about the season in general? What do you think of it? it Look, be. I think... I don't mind the the, the reduced quarters because I think oh, it's going to a lot of pressure on the players please, please. to play. You know, Bulldogs got to play three games in about ten days. But it, you're, it's an unusual Sam uh, season, Sam. So I, I think you've just got to take it for what it is, and hopefully we can get through it. It's going to be very difficult, mate. It's not Australian, mate. They have cut out boards behind the goals. Yeah, I know. Have so an abbreviated that. quarter of football. You know, we used to go to football for entertainment, not indoctrination. But I'm not going to tell this in a political term because I know you won't. Uh, you won't uh, encroach upon that, but uh, I think we would have been better off just uh, putting a line through the season and being Australian and starting afresh. This yeah. hybrid version is, uh, I don't think it's doing but anything. But it's very difficult, Sam. For I know people, it's a difficult situation. You know. I'm not saying what they've done is right or wrong, but uh, I just can't get uh, I'm money. You can't get into it. I can't get into it. So, uh, oh, that's only me. That's only me. You, Leon? I think the population is screaming for it. I, and I, yeah. think I know they're, they're so screaming re- for the game. They're so relieved. And I, I think... You've got to let them in the ground. I think you could get the footballers out there to play tiddlywinks and they'd like it. So uh, what we've got is better than what we had, which was nothing. Yeah. And um, I, I don't mind. Well, I've got to say, I viewed it last. I don't know what it was. I was watching country and western music. <laughs> the question <laughs> is whether they, when the premiership is announced, whether they're going to put an asterisk next they to will. it. They will. say that will be a short, you know, the short season or something. I don't know. But, but, but even that, Leon, you know, the interest in football generally, particularly with women, not only playing football, but I, I go to the football last year the last few years the number of women at football outnumber men it's incredibly interest that they've they've been able to well, generate surprise you in football that's long been the case i don't the reckon that's in, right in my I game no no well, not in yeah, my no, game well i'll tell you what when the afl sit down and do their marketing strategy let me tell you the first priority is what's appealing to the women because well, the women are the one that drive you know why because they make the decision at home to people like you who are subjected and subdued and suppressed and, you know, under the thumb. Who well, made the decision. But I can remember terrified. women in the 70s used to go and watch you at North Melbourne because those flowing locks of yours and the way you moved. I can remember you, Sam. So time don't start on that. I think it's time to take a break, Leon. <laughs> we'll take a long break. Yeah. We're just about finished with this edition of... Can I just ask you one question? Yes, please. With your bookmaking, were you owed any money? Were you, were you OO at the end of proceedings? Oh, or yeah, no. A lot of debtors there, Sam. Were they? A long list. They, what do you reckon was owed to you at the, at the completion of... I reckon four or five million. Uncollectible, uncollectible. Uncollectible money. Yeah, a lot what of about my mates. Seafood? Did you get any seafood or anything like that? Yes, I did get a bit of seafood out of interest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't elaborate on that. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> uh, this has been Sport and Life. Sam uh-huh. Kingovich, our guest today, is uh, Simon Beasley, and it's a great pleasure to have you along, Thanks Simon. for having me, Leon. Uh, You're a good man. Good and I, I might say Simon is a member of our Vang Sang Club. And, uh, he is. A, a very erstwhile member, too. Uh, Dan, our producer today, thank you. And, Sam, uh, good luck. I know you're having a little break. Uh, during the week, and I'm we'll catch you. Going back in hospital, Leon, having my knee operated on for the about the tenth time, but uh, all good. And I, you I thought think, about changing surgeons? No. Uh, well, I've had some great surgeons, Leon. Believe me, it's not the surgeon's fault. But I could nearly do it. Look, if I could do the anaesthetic, I could do the upper moan. I know exactly what tools to use, <laughs> where to enter with a scalpel. Uh, 
but I've got very low pain threshold these days. <laughs> I'm very low. I've got my missus coming in just to supervise. Uh, oh. Next week we've got uh, Johnny Javaro, the angry ant. Yes. That was his first name, of course, and yeah. now he's better known as Iffy. Yeah, he is known as Iffy. Iffy, Iffy. Uh, three times winner of the Sun Tour uh, on the bikes and uh, been to the Tour de France, I guess, oh, about 10 or 12 times with a group. And, uh, uh, well, a one of the few cyclists that's been drug free on all in all his victories. You don't, you don't count wine. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week, folks. Thanks for joining us.